0: Hussin Boots brings you new green cans.
1: Hussin Boots brings you new green cans. Hussin Boots brings you new green cans. New green cans. New green cans. New green cans that you pick by number. Green cans. New green cans. New green cans that you pick by number. Hussin Boots. and Boots. Cans the best cat food, yeah, in the whole doggone world. New green cans.
0: quit while you're ahead. Isn't it interesting that we have all these famous idioms for why good things won't always last for us? Why is there too much of a good thing? Or when we get married, it's for better or worse. Worse has to come, right? And it better last through thick and thin. And it all tends to cut both ways. And those omelets, well, you can't make those without breaking a few eggs. And remember, whatever goes up, well, it must come down. And if it can go wrong, it will. And even if it does go bad, you can still go all the way from the frying pan into the fire. The other shoe, yeah, it's going to drop. Really, when it's all said and done, all good things must come to an end. But must they? Why can't we go from success to success to success? Why can't we have friendships that go from thick to thicker? Why can't we be married and have the officiant ask, do you promise to love each other for better and even better? Or believe that if it can go right, it definitely will. Or why can't both shoes stay up? Why must good things come to an end? Now, of course, there's a whole philosophical discussion to be had about why we need some level of pain in our life. Why sadness can actually occasionally be profound and good for us so that we might feel pleasure more appreciably. But in our careers, our jobs, our roles as innovators in our business, it seems that these days the planning process is always about that other shoe. If it went well, you better plan for it going wrong. That blog is succeeding, what's going to ruin it? That new person has been amazing, but what's their biggest weakness? But there's something that's even more difficult these days, and that's when things are going well, when we are ahead of the game, and we're afraid to end it. We're afraid to quit while we're ahead. The two classics of this are in show business, right? The old adage, leave them wanting more, meaning get out before you wear out your welcome. See what I did there? There's another idiom. Or in sales, it's stop selling after you've made the sale. In both of these, it's wise to quit while you're ahead. Enough of that good thing. Appreciate it. Now move on. But for us, as innovators in the business, it can be tempting once we launch something and it starts to work even a little bit to never want to end it. God, let's not shut this thing down. It's actually working. The problem is, you can fill your strategy, your business, your life with these good things, and you may never actually replace them with anything new. And a life filled with only good things can keep you from realizing which ones you have or could have that are actually great. And of course, it's the could have in that sentence that's the key. Occasionally ending good things to make room for new things is a risky proposition. Will the new thing be better or will it fail? Occasionally, you have to take that risk. You've got to fold the two kings you've been dealt because the new hand might be the winner. And that's the theme of our show today, knowing when to end good things. Understanding that you can go from good to more good to great. As country singer Alan Jackson sang, but too
1: much of a good thing
0: is a good thing or knowing when to make room for new things. As Kenny Rogers said,
1: Learn to play it right. you got to know.
0: now it's time for me to end this good thing and replace it with a great thing and that's the start of our show in the immortal words of the cars
1: let's roll for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR, with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys.
0: Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 195 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Sunday, August 6th, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the guy who's not just a good thing, but a great thing in content marketing, Mr. Joe Pulitzi. How are you, my friend?
1: That's very sweet of you. I am actually, uh, I'm a little tired right now. I gotta tell you. From last Uh, week? or Well, no, no, well, I mean... I mean, putting up was, with me for four days is, last is, is it was to trying anybody out. I have to tell you, <laughs> spending a week with you is trying. But uh, <laughs> no, actually, two great uh, – a couple shout-outs I just want to give because yesterday I um, spent the day with a lot of the members of the, the CMI team, and we were supporting our event director, Kelly Wetzel. Uh, it's an organization called OROC, so basically they fight against ovarian cancer. so that was a 5k run yesterday and then to like literally two hours ago I ran a 10k and that organization was called Life Bank and they basically um, support um, organ donation. I had and, a special K for breakfast and you had a special K but I'll shout out to, to Laura okay. Kozak, our yeah. uh, our e media director. And uh, she does so much more than that as well. So uh, yeah, it was a it was a good CI, CMI weekend and a lot of running.
0: And yeah, then to, sounds and like then, it.
1: And then tomorrow is the is our big event, the um, you know our Orange Effect Foundation, and we have our. Mm-hmm our annual Golfer Autism event, and it's going to be our biggest one ever. And uh, it's going to be hard playing
0: 36 holes, I got to tell you, Robert. Oh, I know. It's going to be really rough. It's going to be trying to be Joe Polizzi these days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's really tough. It's really tough to get up every morning and go play golf. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's well, rough. They, I- If
1: somebody said, Joe, what's your life right now? I would say it's a mixture of 5 and 10 Ks and 18 hole rounds of golf. Yes it's It's punctuated not easy by beer. It's not and Tito's. <laughs> it's not easy. and yeah, some, <laughs> throw some vodka tonics in there. Yeah. Uh, it's really tough being me. I, yeah, uh, the stress is really starting to get. to I me. can see it. I saw it in I saw it in person, the the
0: stress uh, on your face.
1: <laughs> I, I'm still thrilled that we knocked out the audiobook for killing marketing in one day. I am I am
0: too. I am too. And and in record time, I might add, we, we really just we got serious for like uh eight hours and just did it. I
1: mean She's it was it was out. truly very, very I mean very who cares smooth. if we skip four chapters? I mean yeah that, it, that helps <laughs> It's done that's what that's yeah. all that matters. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Exactly right. Well it's not done done. The poor
0: editor has to go through oh, and edit all that yeah. nonsense that we did over eight and a half or nine hours, but uh, yeah,
1: it's, uh, but it's recorded anyway. <laughs> well, I don't know if some people... I mean, it's interesting. You know this, but you and I have done multiple audiobooks, so we know now, but, but basically you record a chapter straight through, and when you mess up, you just pause, and then you start yeah. at a spot and you that keep going. makes sense. Yep. Yeah, and you keep going through the whole thing, and then you've got a great production person that goes in and edits it, so it sounds like you did the whole thing with no mistakes, and I want everyone to think that you and I never make a mistake. That's correct. That's correct. But so. even in recording this little episode... We had
0: to start it once or twice because of mistakes. Yes, and there will be plenty
1: in this episode, folks. So so yeah, there will be plenty of mistakes made. Well, we're not going to get to episode 195 and finally do one correctly. No, I mean,
0: correct. let me, yeah, let's on.
1: let's just level let's set just keep right. Keep the now. expectations where they've been. <laughs> we've been we've been successful by making mistakes. That's, that's exactly That's why right. our show is so different than all the other podcasts. We <laughs> lean into our mistakes. <laughs> true enough. story. True story. Yeah, I'm not exaggerating. You know this. I do
0: know this. I do know this. Leaning into the mistakes. <laughs> that should be a theme of an upcoming episode for sure. Well, you Leaning know, but, into the mistakes.
1: Uh, two things to say. First of all, before we get into the the quick news, the quick hits. Yeah. That yeah. was a. It, we got really good feedback on. We did. It. So uh, we're going to. We did. Are we going to yeah. keep doing that? With yeah, the quick hits? absolutely. Yep. All right. So we'll keep doing that. So we'll get to that in a second. Second thing, got to make the announcement. It was announced uh well, we're recording Sunday. It's going to be announced Monday, but this is this, So it's, it's technically a scoop, but Technically a scoop, but nobody it won't will be hear a scoop it. it, right? Because it, will it be, because of the way the way we release yeah. the show, yeah. But we're we're announcing as our closing keynote Mr. Joseph Gordon Levitt, and we're super excited and for those of you that don't know JGL, he's been in Looper with Bruce Willis, he was Robin and Batman, he was all the way back to Angels in the Outfield, if you remember that one, he's been in dozens and dozens of movies bankable star inception was a great one i i was I gonna say fantastic. you, you picked batman and robin well come on as, and, and as i'm going through i'm going right. through In- the whole there's thing there's
0: inception i mean come on now
1: but the <laughs> but the wall so Batman yes. and looper are not the two <laughs> movies on. that i would go with yeah i've seen those recently though so, okay th- what would you say you'd say inception
0: inception for okay. sure i mean that okay. was his big you know
1: yeah but that was his. dicaprio that was oh, wait a minute. DiCaprio.
0: See, we've already leaned into some mistakes
1: here. Well, no, he was in that. I mean, he was in it. Right. He wasn't the number one star in it. No, of course not. DiCaprio was. Because right. any DiCaprio movie, DiCaprio is the star. DiCaprio does not correct. play second fiddle to anyone. That's That's, correct. Le- that's how Leo plays it. Anyways, yes. what most people don't know is that Joseph gordon Lovett has built his own media company. Uh, collaborative, uh, musical-themed. Media company called Hit Record. It's really, really popular. It's syndicated in multiple outlets. If you want to go check it out, please do. We don't have time on this program, but he's going to talk about how he deals not only with Hollywood and storytelling, but how he's built his own media company. And so, I think that's really rare to have a celebrity of his nature that's also built a media company like this. So he's done some really cool experimental stuff, like the stuff he's done some stuff with music.
0: Yep. Um and some some really interesting things with his media company that has that
1: yeah, it's it's cool. It's really cool. Well, we Bob, we he's been on the list to get for 3-4 years just because yeah. of that because there's very few movie stars that have actually done what he's done. So I finally we were able to make it work and thank goodness he's going to be at the big show closing keynotes. So contentmarketingworld.com make sure you sign up now. You only have 5 weeks to go. Uh and actually 4 weeks. As this comes out. So what are you waiting for? uh, As Gwen Stefani would say, (laughs) (laughs) right. Gwen's not, Gwen's not here this year, but no, she would be, if she could, because we couldn't make room for her because we had Joseph Gordon Levitt. So I'm sorry, Gwen. I know you really wanted to be a content marketing world this year. That's right. Maybe next year, maybe next year. Katie Perry. She wanted to come. I mean, there's all the, all the big superstar women wanted to be there, but sorry. I, I can't do it every year. We can't. Yeah. We have to make room for other people. It's tough to be Joe Pulisci. That is tough. <laughs> All right. Let's what move
0: I mean. on to our quick hits, folks. Yeah. Well, this is where we go through a few of the top headlines um, of the week and just give our quick takes on them just to give you a sense of all of the things that you should be reading and or listening to um, as a marketer in this space. And the first story that we'll hit with our quick hits is Apple's performance. And this is the part where I get to go, hey, I told you so to all the Apple haters out there. Um, Apple soars after resilient iPhone demand, says AdAge, which is where we're pulling the story from, and the article opens up by saying that Apple soared to a record after giving a revenue forecast that highlighted resilient demand for the iPhone ahead of the introduction of its new models and the growing significance of the company's supporting businesses. New iPhones typically go on sale in mid to late September, which produces a few weeks of revenue that are included in the company's fiscal fourth quarter results. Some analysts had reduced their estimates on concern that the new high-end iPhone may be delayed, but Apple's projections on Tuesday and increasing sales of other products and services calmed those fears. So what do you think about Apple? Well, you're a big investment guy. What do you think about the where Apple's performance is these days?
1: Well, at first, I believe as of this uh, taping, they're an eight hundred and thirty billion dollar market cap company. That's right. They're they very will, close to hitting the trillion. Dollar they will market. be the. They will be the first one trillion. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt of that not happening. You've got good news. Uh, they've got winds behind them. It's amazing how sticky the iPhone really is. That yeah, people are just you know be- because. You don't want to switch platforms. Anyone that's on an iPhone platform, you're not thinking about switching to another platform. You're just going to wait till the new iPhone comes out. You're going to upgrade when you're going to upgrade. And what blew me away, I don't know. Did you see iPad sales were up 15%? Come yeah. on. I mean, yeah, everything is going right for this company, and it sets the stage for them purchasing Disney sometime in the next 18 to 24 no, months.
0: It, I didn't even see that coming. I did. How did see you not di- How did I you not see
1: that, <laughs> see that? I didn't coming. see that coming. That they is the have most so ridiculous much... thing that I've ever okay, heard. Let's just be <laughs> realistic. <laughs> they have so much cash on the sideline. So anyway, I don't want to get into that whole thing right. because we know yes. it's going to happen, and you don't think it's going to happen. But I we'll don't just think it it's there. going to happen. They're, they're going released- to buy something, but they are not going to buy Disney. What do you think about this release of the HomePod <clears throat> at three hundred thirty-nine dollars?
0: A- well, here's the thing: I, I, when it came out uh, and the news of it came out, I, I, I looked at it, and um, uh, it, apparently, it sounds really good. Um, you know, they're saying it's one of the better homes you know the of the speakers you know when you look at the Google Home or the Alexa or uh or or this new thing it, it's it's the best speaker apparently of the of the three however they say it doesn't hold up you know Siri right now doesn't hold up to what Google and Amazon are doing and i've tested this um with um, I have all three. Obviously, I have Siri on my phone, and then I have uh, Google Home, and I have uh, Alexa here. Oh, okay. Um, and and so it's it, it, what I find is is that quite frankly, Google Home is the best of of all of them in terms of being able to ask it questions and get accurate things back. So there you have it.
1: Well, what I think is interesting, I talked to my friend Mark the other day because he just got Alexa. And one of his concerns was that when he uh, asks Alexa a question, oftentimes the content coming back will be from Wikipedia. He doesn't like that. So if you think about, just think about all these companies and them returning whatever the answers would be, not from somebody else's site, but from their own content. Now, I know the ramifications of that, but I think that if you're Amazon and you want to throw up answers to that, you want those to be answers that you've looked at, you've checked. I mean, I don't know if they're tapping into Google or, or Bing or whatever they're t- I think they're tapping into Bing and not Google. But uh, I think that they would want their own content, their own check content, their own content. So I think that there's an opportunity there along with the HomePod and and, uh, and Alexa and Google Home, that you'll see more of that more owned media content coming from those companies because of that. Does that hold any water?
0: Yeah, I think it's true. Well, I think you're also gonna have, this is the new coming battle for you know, um, both paid and SEO, right? Which is ranking uh, for the answers to questions. You know, with uh, with voice search, and yeah. that's going to happen on Google Home. It's going to certainly happen on on uh, Amazon's uh, platform. I'm I'm avoiding saying the word because when I said it, my my little <laughs> platform. Oh, it started, goes off. It's it starting. <laughs> to live. So, um, yeah. So so there's that. Well, speaking of Google, this gets to our second okay. uh, big hit here, quick hit here, which is comes from the Wall Street Journal, and it's about Google. Um, and this sort of uh, continuing on from our conversation last week, Google is developing tech for Snapchat-like media content. Of course, um, they The are. article from the Wall Street Journal opens up. <laughs> yes, it opens up by saying, <laughs> so, Google is developing technology to let publishers create visual-oriented media content along the lines of Snapchat's Discover, according to people familiar with the situation, upping the ante in the race among tech giants to dominate news dissemination on smartphones. So... Given our conversation and given where Snapchats, um, and by the way, it continues to fall in stock price, what, I, I thought a better headline for this might be Google developing strategy to buy Snapchat. <laughs>
1: but you know. Well, it's, that's interesting, right? So as of Thursday, Snapchat, as we had continued to predict and have since it was $29 a share, right. Snapchat came down to about $12.50 a share, which was its lowest point ever. And then the news came out, I believe it was Friday morning. It could have been Thursday evening that right uh, about there that this yeah, this is up, what we're talking about now, yeah exactly at, at that Google before Snapchat went public that Google did put in fact put in an offer of thirty billion dollars to right. purchase Snapchat, so fast forward to today so so anyways, the Snapchat stock was up fifty cents about five percent on Friday on that news. So do the math. Their Snapchat is about eight or nine billion dollars market cap, and they were offered thirty before they went public. It's just interesting to see how that happened. Um, so now the story comes out that Google's launching these this more Snapchat uh, player yeah. competitor story yeah. called Stamp, which I think is interesting. Stories plus <laughs> Google AMP Stamp. Yeah. Uh, put your stamp on that. Google, so Google branding, you know, I don't Now if I got off on a rant, but go ahead. What, go what, ahead. I'm just, I'm just going to say it seems like there will be a deal done. I think that it depends on what the founders and the, the major stockholders of Snapchat want to do. But if you are an eight or nine billion dollar company and Google is still going to offer somewhere close to 30 billion dollars for this, you would assume that a deal would happen. You would, you would think so. Right? You would, you would, you would so. think
0: that's going to happen. I mean, look, they, you know, they'll spend that much developing something, right? I mean, you know, and 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 rolling it out. You know what I mean? In other words, they'll spend that much rolling in and making Stamp, which is just a bad name. But anyway, they'll, they'll 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 spend that much rolling out a competitor. So why bother rolling out a competitor, especially when it's got a name as bad as Stamp? And
1: basically, why why wouldn't you just take over take it wait take wait 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 robert i'm sorry headline coming in google oh, buys no. the u.s post office <laughs> 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 no need to change branding yeah. stamp oh my gosh i'm sorry stamp yeah uh, that's there. that was fake news that yes, was there. i don't know okay. if you got that that fantastic. was fantastic all right You'll-
0: our our final quick hit news thing here um comes to us courtesy of digital journal this one's a fun one um Researchers shut down artificial intelligence after it develops its own language. Um, This one uh, opens up by saying, an artificial intelligence system being developed at Facebook has created its own language. It developed a system of code words to make communication more efficient. Researchers shut the system down when they realized the AI they were using was no longer English The observation made as Facebook are the latest in a long line of similar cases. In each instance, an AI being monitored by humans has diverged from its training in English to develop its own language. The resulting phrases appear to be nonsensical gibberish to humans, but contain semantic meaning when interpreted by AI agents. There is a Trump joke right there waiting for me, and I am not going to go down that road. So, um, yeah, this is fascinating to me. I I thought this was, you know... This is one of those things I am not a big believer by the way that that we're building, you know, Skynet and and that we're we're going to be you don't, I you're don't you're believe not into we're building terminators or no, anything like that. I, well, I'm into the singularity, but I don't think it's going to turn them into terminators and and sort of put a matrix plug in the back of us and milk the brain juice out of us, you know, and all of that stuff. I think it's an interesting thing where you see AI starting to learn in a way that's faster than we can teach it. Um, and I think that's alarming just because it, it, it's not necessarily alarming that they're going to do harm to us, but it's alarming in the sense that it makes it harder to control and thus harder to program. And yeah. thus, you know, and, and, and basically it 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 just makes it more difficult to do useful things. Right. It's not that it's it's not that it's scary. It's just that it's I, I can see why they shut it down, because it's like if we can't you know, if we don't know how to control it, then. It, it's just going to go off in a weird tangent and do things that are unproductive, and we wanted to do
1: productive things. Well, it, it surprised me that they were surprised that this would happen. I mean, why would efficient robots... Use the English language as we've developed it (laughs) over the years. Exactly. Which we've taken from every other language on the planet and think that, of course, they they created a more effective way to communicate with each other. (laughs) Of course they did. You're not going to use English. You're not going to come out spewing Shakespeare or anything like that because, (laughs) oh, that's the way that we've coded it to, to do that. So... I Wouldn't it be DC- funny though if they did? If the if the if the
0: language that actually came out of the artificial intelligence was an iambic pentameter <laughs> and, was, you know, and, and was beautiful poetry?
1: It was all alliteration,
0: yes. And um, then we and we shut
1: it down because it's like you know, oh, it just speaks so fancy. We can't have that. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, I think the the interesting thing is going to be is they pulled obviously they didn't they they started communicating with each other the the, the robots or the AI whatever it was, yeah. and they pulled the plug. Someday they're not going to be able to pull the plug. No, exactly. Right? That's when you get into iRobot stuff. That's right. That's right. And what's happening. I just think it's interesting. I don't have anything that I'm learning from it other than the fact that we're trying this stuff. It's going to happen, and it's going to get really weird, and we shouldn't be surprised that it does get weird. That's right. It's going to get weird
0: and, and look really interesting. That is for sure. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was your quick hits. And now let's get to the in-depth news. We've got a couple of fun stories to talk about here specific to content marketing. Um, And our first story actually comes from PubExec, a publication that I know Joe knows so well. Um, And the headline here is, Long-Form Content Boosts Engagement, But Can Publishers Do It Right? And this opens up with a poem. So they must have seen the AI coming out, um, basically uh, there's nothing new under the sun, says the article in its opening. Even saying that is way older than you think. At least 2,000 years old, appearing in the Hebrew Tanakh in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. That's only slightly older than the converse uh, conversation the publishing industry has been having with itself about the pros and cons of long-form content. Mother Jones senior editor Dave Gilson recently shared an image of a newspaper clipping on Twitter. It is a letter from a newspaper editor of almost 20 years experience. The newspaper man wrote, people make a great mistake by writing long articles before outlining his formula on calculating the likely success of an article according to its length. This then goes on to discuss such formula and the idea of long-form content. What did you take out of this I I, I mean I know you love long form content what uh, what
1: what was your conclusion here Well I, I love long form content and I think there's an opportunity in it and we've seen the Huffington Post and they, you know, of course there's BuzzFeed there's, BuzzFeed has its own yeah. long form section the challenge is is that when you are selling ads against long-form content it's hard to sell ads against engagement so right. The the monetization against a long-form piece of content is really difficult if you're a publisher. That's why I – and so I would read this article if I'm a marketer. Thinking, wow, there's an opportunity here because first of all, there's still not many organizations, media are not, that are investing in long form content, even though we've talked about a few. Most organizations are still into shorter form. They're focused on, you know, your minute and a half, two minute video. They're getting a little bit into shorter podcasts, but they're not looking at long form text. So we've talked about on this show, when somebody goes one direction, you really look should look at the opportunities in another, and the competitive landscape around long-form content is just less. So as a marketer, if your goals are to build an audience and to have them to hopefully trust you and loyalty over a long period of time, then there might be an opportunity for you to, let's say, launch a content brand around long-form content creation and distribution so that that was my take and i like this article it's got some really good advice in it thinking about you know what what should we do what shouldn't we do how do we get this done but i think for publishers this is challenging if you have a traditional media business model if you are a marketing uh professional and you're into content marketing i think there's absolutely a real opportunity right now to invest in this
0: I think you're absolutely right. I mean, this you know the biggest challenge I see is, and and this and this goes all you know it it, it 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 ratchets all the way up to the strategy, the content marketing strategy for an organization, or the lack thereof in the organization. Because what I see is many companies are reticent to do bigger long-form pieces because they cost more. Um, And if you're going to do a big long-form piece, they take time, they take effort to develop. You have to think about design, you have to think about the quality of the content, and it just costs more. And so what inevitably happens is when we draw the line as marketers as a piece of content equated to an ad – you know any kind of advertisement we tend to look at them equally in cost as well so when we see the cost of that ebook or that white paper or the novel or whatever it is we want to create and we go wow that is going to be 20 times one ad thus we do the risk assessment and we say you know it's there's no way this will ever perform as well as 20 ads And so in that campaign, and so we default to going, okay, it shouldn't be one piece because that's just too risky. We should have it be 15 pieces or 20 short pieces because it'll mitigate the risk because it won't cost as much. In other words, 15 blog posts that talk about the top 10 reasons you need aluminum siding on your house doesn't cost as much as the handbook for how to manage aluminum siding on your house. And so, but the point is, is that, if we only measure our content as a replacement or an alternative to advertising, we're stuck in that calculus. And so we have to get out of that mindset. Content is good quality content. This is something that media companies understand. It is the asset that we're creating, right? If we're going to create something that's long form and good, it is going to cost more. And theoretically, it should produce more over time. It's a different investment model. So that's What I think is, you know, and then there's the tactics of how to actually create it and run a formula that make it the long, that long form content as good as it can possibly be.
1: Well, that's where, and you're tough. You're right, because it's tough because you have, you have to build in a lot of patience around this model because at the end of the day, you, let's say you get subscribers to this long form content brand that you have created. You have to get to a point where you can actually measure how that behavior change is different in the customers or prospects or audience that you're building. That's right. And most companies don't get to that because That's of right. what you said, because they're like, oh man, this costs a lot more. And we got this. And oh, I only got 10 pieces of content here. And I got 75 pieces of content, even though nobody's engaging in that crap at all. Let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let, I don't want to wait on this 10 because you know what? 75 is more than 10 or 15. I mean the some of the math that's being done at these enterprises is just killing me because they really are counting pieces of content as a way to signify success.
0: Right. And and they're looking at the campaign that supports the launch of that piece of content as the as your yardstick of success. In other words, if I create an infographic and I throw it out on LinkedIn and I throw it out on Twitter and I put it out on a blog and I promote it and it produces 10 leads, I go, yay. And then I create this extensive long white paper and beautiful and, and it's thoughtful and it's high quality. And I throw it up on LinkedIn and promote it through Twitter and throw a couple of Google ads and it produces 10 leads. I go, eh, I'm not yep. as impressed, right? Because the white paper costs so much and it only, and it produced exactly the same number of leads. Now would that piece of white paper have created subscribers and audience Or did it only create leads? And if we only look at it through that lead generation method, we're always going to default to the cheapest, most efficient thing that we can create, which is quite frankly, a short form piece of content. And it's just, I mean, I've watched it happen. It is just easier to repurpose thicker, bigger, more valuable pieces of content into smaller pieces, but it takes more time. It takes more patience and it takes a new viewpoint on why we're creating content to begin with. This is why I'm, 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 going off my soapbox here but but a measuring audiences is the key metric for content marketers and i have a whole thing coming out on that and and, and all of that but that to me is the better measurement is what was the effect of the content and what is its effect over time in helping us build yeah. a deeper more engaged audience
1: now you're absolutely right if you're only in it for short term results you probably everything need, looks the same you yeah. probably need to stay away from what you and i have are you know with killing marketing and all the things we're talking about? Just stay away from it, just focus on your content campaigns and stay in your nice tiny bubble. And there's nothing wrong with that, that's you right. Just keep doing your thing, keep your job as long as you can, and it's fine. Instead of <laughs> bu- building <laughs> assets, yeah, when you talk about how you are. Uh, deciphering the value of an audience. You're talking about you're building long-term assets that are going to change the entire nature of the organization. That's a whole different thing. You're talking about something that is re- could really be impactful to the organization. Do I really care right. if you get three leads, five leads, ten leads, whatever? No, I don't. You keep doing that stuff. You can you can cut up your articles into seventeen pieces, and you can use your Google Ads and do whatever. And I just don't. I just simply don't care about that anymore. I got. I, I'm. I all. I'm all about focusing. You on- You got ten Ks to run. You got five. I K's got. To run, I, you got, got golf, to I got golf. <laughs> well, I got things. All. But I will turn and look the other way. I will run the other way if you say I want to build a loyal audience because I think that there's an opportunity to monetize that audience in X different ways and change the world. That's, right. that's that's what we're into. It's just much more exciting. Yes. Who wants the I don't want to, I don't wanna optimize for more leads. I wanna change the change the nature of the business because you're creating better customers. Well that's I wanna do both
0: I wanna do both. Right. You can I want do both.
1: Yeah. You can do both. You do both. You can both. do both. Yeah. I'm not I will do both. both. <laughs> I'm doing the other one. <laughs> I'm going to run while you do the whole like optimize right, you the go play thing, some golf
0: and I'll I'm going to go play golf yeah, there you I go.
1: want you call me when you're changing the
0: world. That's what I'm going to do. absolutely will. All right. (laughs) Um, Our last story that we'll cover in depth here uh, for the episode comes to us courtesy of The Globe and Mail, um, which I I love. So first of all, the UK has a much better way of naming their publications than we do here in the US. You know, I, 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 I always every time I see The Globe and Mail, I always think of. Uh, Notting Hill. It, horse and Hound. I'm from horse and Hound magazines. <laughs> anyway, well, I do sorry. have to tell you, though, the Globe and Mail is Canadian. The Globe so. and Mail is Canadian? The Globe and Mail is Canadian. Yes, it is. Oh, see, there you go. That shows you how much I know about the publishing industry. All right. So I'm (laughs) leaning into this mistake, folks. See, just so you know, we don't edit this stuff out. We just lean into it. I'm just going to lean into it. (laughs) So this comes from the Canadian Globe and Mail. Forgive me, my friends up up north. Um, The headline here is Hasbro. Ends talks to buy Lionsgate, which is here we go, a Canadian publication talking about an American buying a or uh, American company buying a Hollywood studio. Um, Hasbro ends talks to buy Lionsgate. By the way, big hat tip here to James Gardner, who sent this through email. So thank you, James, for the story here. And the uh, article opens up by saying Hasbro, the maker of games ranging from Monopoly to foam Nerf balls, has ended talks to acquire U.S. movie studio and entertainment company Lionsgate Entertainment. People familiar with the matter said on Wednesday. The deal would have given Hasbro a direct pipeline into Hollywood with more movies and TV shows tied to its toy brands. The Pawtucket, Rhode Island-based company has worked with Viacom Inc.'s Paramount Pictures on the Transformers, G.I. Joe film franchises... And with Lionsgate Movie Studio on My Little Pony film doing theaters in October, of course, all of those are great content marketing um, f- sorts of uh, platforms. There, so uh, what did you think about this? This was—I thought this was fascinating. Oh, I, I you know,
1: this I'm is totally this is this is what we talk about writ large, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm enthralled know. by this whole idea. Yeah, it, and, it, and looking at it, you can see the synergy. You could say, "Oh man, of I absolutely could see this working really, really well." Now, I don't know why this ended, but you could say all right. well Hasbro right now is just a toy company but by the way there's nothing wrong with being just a toy company but you you would not say that Disney is just a parks company or a toy company or whatever I think that if Hasbro wants to someday compete and they have the brands you know they have some brands that could do that ultimately with, with Disney I think they have to make a move like this but why do you think I guess you know Hollywood better than I do why? Why are they ending acquisition talks? Why aren't they going forward? What do you think, think the reason is?
0: I think there's a million reasons. I think the but the, probably the one that 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 strikes me is um, that it was too complex. In other words, so um, if you don't know, so uh, Lionsgate uh, last year in 2016. They acquired Stars, the cable network, so they actually own now the cable, uh, the cable premium cable uh, network, Stars, which is not that big, but there's a whole set of things that, as you might expect, go along with that owning a cable network, um, as well as the movie studio that they that they also produce. So Lionsgate got its start by producing content. It was a content production studio that would, quite frankly, loan itself out to other studios for distribution. And then, of course, as they grew, they, they grew and became quite successful, um, and 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 made acquisitions, and um, and and all of those kinds of things. Um, basically, they own a lot of stuff now, right? So there's a lot of stuff that they that they own: Mandalay Television, and you know, and um, and and Mandalay Pictures, and and I think they probably it, it was either price. In other words, they wanted way too much for that or Hasbro wanted to come in and only buy the feature film piece and wanted to spin out all the rest and
1: they didn't want to do that or it was too financially complicated. That's my guess. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't even realize in 2014 Hasbro uh, was in discussions with DreamWorks about mergers, about a merger. I didn't realize that either. So obviously the leadership at Hasbro is, is looking at how do we sort of complete this. It, it might make more sense for them to buy a smaller player. Yes. and not because they're only. I mean, not they're only. They're a thirteen billion dollar company. Hasbro is, and they've been that's very, right. very successful. Their stock price has done very well over the over the last five, ten years. Uh, Lionsgate is about a six billion dollar company. I mean, that's a valuation, valuation, valuation. Yeah. That's a that's a big. So they would have to pay probably. Seven seven point five billion dollars to purchase that, I'm assuming with the, with some premium that shareholders about would, right yeah, so it's that's a tough one that you're you're almost taking on too much risk I would like to see them there's a lot of smaller movie companies that have some other licensing opportunities for Hasbro that could that might make more sense that's right, so I would start smaller. I think what you'd see from this if this is dead, which it seems like this is dead. Then maybe they move on, and they get a one or two billion dollar deal uh, in the next year or two, and then you'll see yeah. that kind of strategy come. If to they fruition. can manage
0: the risk, right? If that's and that's the thing, because when you buy Lionsgate, you get a lot of you get a lot of great intellectual property that would mitigate the buying price, right? So things you could continue <coughs> to monetize. And by the way. You know things that um you know things that Hasbro could then you know already turn into toys and
1: stuff well the like that. the last the last thing on this and here's so here's my question for you do you think that if Hasbro did this deal because they have so many licensing deals with pe- companies like Walt Disney and now Hasbro is sort of getting into the competitive business with Disney do you think that would hurt them or they would be afraid that they would lose some of those licensing deals with Disney and Disney might go elsewhere because uh-huh. they're starting to well, I think
0: we had this discussion when we talked about the Apple thing, right, when, you know, and where we where I had mentioned that I thought it would might it might be a problem for them because, uh, you know, because of the way that. They had to do deals with other studios, right? In, in 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 the way Apple would have to do deals with Sony and and, yeah. know, and Warner Brothers and other places that would you know their music and other films that they put on their platform. And if they own Disney, it might be an issue. Um, and you know, quite frankly, I don't know. I you know when you when you look at it like that, it starts to get really confusing because you've got these giant companies that own giant companies, and and it starts you know you just sort of have to. I think it's an unknown. I think I think that's a complete unknown when you when you start yeah. talking like that because it's like, oh, is Warner Brothers really going to not show, you know, La La Land or the Hunger Games or something like that because it's a Lionsgate movie and and those kinds of things?
1: I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I <clears throat> I I think that something obviously Hasbro wants to see a deal happen. They might opt for doing what Marriott did and actually bringing it in-house and hiring 100-plus people and building their studio team. And then from there, adding, bolting on acquisition instead yeah, of just going to acquisition. To that's, that's a that's, very, that's, hard, yeah, the very hard thing is, to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: All right. Well, uh, speaking of hard things to do. Somebody has created the most amazing piece of content, a new piece of content. Our wonderful sponsor, we should talk about.
1: That. Oh, our friends at Smartling have done yeah. it again. They have a wonderful ebook called Translation, a reliable recipe for business growth. And according to the US Chamber of Commerce, 95% of the world's consumers live outside the United States. Think about that for a little bit. And any company pursuing them with English-only content is likely limiting its revenue potential. Boy, you could say that again. According to the (laughs) the Common Sense Advisory, more than 70% of consumers are more likely to buy a product with information listed in their native language than a comparable product without. These realities haven't been lost on the world's leading brands. Digital innovation may have flattened the world, but human language is still the key to forming authentic connections. As a result, any company limiting the conversation to a single language is also severely limiting its, its own growth potential. To be successful on a global scale, brands need to consider localization strategies that suit their audience and elevate their brand presence. And whether your company is big or small, the road to translation success always follows a similar path. So before you can translate a single character of content, there are several basic points of strategy to address. And that's what this ebook does. It's called Translation, a reliable recipe for business growth. It goes through the factors involved in doing this and how will help you build your strategy, figure out how you're going to put your team together, and the right tools necessary to make this happen. So you can download this at cmi.media slash PNR195. CMI.media slash PNR one ninety-five to download. Translation, a reliable recipe for business growth, and a shout out to our friends at SmartLink. And I love really good pieces of content that we're able yeah. to promote. And this is one that not enough enterprises take seriously. When they just go out and they're focusing on English all day long. So if you at all well, are doing you know business it outside, you need to focus on this stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah, I'll tell you what it is. It's interesting when I when I visit with enterprises so 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 many times, they know it's a big deal, but it's kind of a thing that they push under a rock or sweep under the rug or. Whatever, <laughs> it's cliche, whatever other metaphor shade you you metaphor I come <laughs> up with, but they basically don't want to deal with it because it's hard and it's com- com- complex and it's really difficult to get right. And it's one of those things that it's just you know somebody has to take the mantle on of figuring this stuff out. And it's a it's a real to, in today's world it's a really important
1: thing. So smartly so just are. keeps yeah. I mean you're you're, you're right. It's uh, if you are at all. Uh, pushing it what uh, under a rock, as you would say, and any other shade scenarios that you can come up with, uh, you ought to download this piece of content. So That's there you absolutely, go. absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for your favorite part of the show, our rants and rave section, when Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like, oh, you know that Alan Jackson song where too much of a good thing is a good thing. Or makes us feel like Kenny Rogers, where we say it's just time to fold them. Um, and let's see. I I guess I have this old marketing, although we're going to kind of tag team it. But um, I guess I'll go first you go since first. I've got the sort of lead in this old marketing. Um, okay, so I have a very very short just piece of commentary. It's just an article. I think you should all. Just, I mean, it'll take you five minutes to go read this thing. In fact, when I tell it to you, you probably don't have to go read it because you'll know the information. So saved you a click. How about that? Um, this is uh, a, an article that came from Axios.com, um, and it's called Tech Giants Eating the Advertising World. We've talked about this um, maybe ad nauseum on this show, but it, just talking about how the Google, Facebook, and then what I've really been on doing some research about lately, what's going on in China? So companies like Tencent, Baidu, and Alibaba are ha, is happening here. So this just sort of wraps it all up, and it opens up by saying basically, in today's world, five companies are basically crushing it, right? And and here's the stat that just blew me away: two thirds of all global advertising dollars will go to five companies. I mean oh, that's a, that's an my amazing goodness. statistic. Yeah. So, Facebook, Google, Tencent, Baidu, and Alibaba. Um, this is according to PricewaterhouseCoopers Entertainment and Media Global Outlook. So, Google gets eighty billion. Facebook gets thirty-six billion. Alibaba gets seventeen billion. Baidu gets nine billion. Tencent gets six billion. And then down at the very, very bottom there, we get Microsoft at six billion. Um, here's another statistic that just blew me away: fifty percent of advertising dollars flow to Google and Facebook. I mean, that's just 50% of all advertising dollars go to Google and Facebook. They're calling it America's duopoly. Um, Together. They're expected to take 83% of every new advertising dollar, according to calculations um, from digital content. Next three companies in China, Alibaba, Baidu and Tencent control 60% of the Chinese advertising market and now account for 15% of all global advertising. It's amazing. Now the 12 there are 12 companies they talk to that are behind the big five. Um, you've got Yahoo, Microsoft, LinkedIn, uh, IAC, which is a old one of the old school uh, internet advertising companies. Um, Verizon, Amazon, Pandora, Twitter, Yelp, Snapchat, Sina, and Sohu, which are Chinese companies, bringing in roughly half of what Google brings in annually so the 12 companies that are behind the big 5 yahoo microsoft linkedin verizon verizon amazon pandora twitter yelp snapchat they only account for half of what google brings in that is an amazing statistic and an amazing numbers and what it speaks to is that this whole idea of disintermediation of the advertising market and and looking at you know the million plus places where companies are putting their advertising is not happening. There are it it you know the the you know 900 channels and nothing on as as Bruce Springsteen used to sing about isn't happening, right? There are five channels where everybody's going and and so we as marketers need to be aware of that and thinking about that and where we're trying to get our audiences from because quite frankly it we may be very sh- shortly bigger from an audience standpoint than anybody that we would put audiences on except for the big five. We're going back to an a, a plan where broadcast media is alive and well and the big three and must see TV. It's, it's all coming back. It's just now Google, Facebook and, uh, and, and, uh, and the Chinese company. So yeah, I mean, I don't have much to say other than pay
1: attention. Yeah. It, it is amazing when what, Ten years ago, you had so many players. You had hundreds of players and that oh, yeah. consolidated awfully quickly to the two at the top. <laughs> exactly. I mean it's that amazing. is, and then yeah, I, I think it's important because even a lot of people that I talk to aren't aware of Ten Cent and what they're doing and how fast they're growing and the impact of the Chinese market, especially on the U.S. So it's it's um, yeah. Yeah, when ten cent comes here, it's going to be a thing. Oh, trust me, absolutely. And you know yeah. that's they're planning it's on coming. that. Well, that's yeah, where you coming. know we just talked about this whole Snapchat thing. Don't you know? I know we're talking about Google and Facebook buying them. Don't discount the Alibabas, the sure the ten cents of the world being able to come in there and swoop up because they got a lot of money and power behind them. So that's right. Um is mine right. is mine is sort of uh, I don't know if this is a rant rave or commentary, uh, but you know that uh, my son Adam got me to watch Stranger Things finally. Such a great and show! It is fantastic, and uh, we totally binged on it because once you watch the first one, you just have to you know watch the other seven. So <laughs> finally, watch the whole thing. We're ready for the new thing to come out. But as I was talking to Adam about this, I. I wanted to know how he... I mean, all of a sudden, he just got into it. He said, Dad, can, you want to watch Stranger Things? He found... He really got interested in Tranger, Stranger Things because he collects pop, pop figures from Funko. And some of the Stranger Things pop figures were, uh, were what intrigued him. Hmm. So it's interesting that sort of he backed in because of the licensing deals that Stranger Things has. He backed into watching that and engaging that. So now we're into the content. Now we become fans. So just keep that in mind as I read this to you. So here's an article here from License Global uh, Online Property, and it goes through the ar- the title of the article is Streaming Now, Original Content with Licensing Potential. And the one one on here, of course, is Stranger Things. Set in Hawkins, Indiana, in the 1980s, Stranger Things chronicles the search for a young boy who vanishes into thin air under highly sp- suspicious circumstances. It goes on and on. If you, you know the story, you know the story. If you don't, you, you can watch it. The first season of Stranger Things was released last July and quickly garnered garnered a cult following. In December, Netflix teamed with retailers Hot Topic and Box Lunch for the first-ever line of licensed merchandise for the brand, which included apparel, novelty-inspired pins, patches, accessories, and other collectibles. The second season of Stranger Things is gearing up to debut this October, and it's very, very likely a large number of consumer products will follow. Uh, and I looked it up, and you've got McFarlane and, and also another line of Funko coming out with action figures and a bunch of other stuff. So they are going all, they're leaning all in into making more money off of the licensing side. And of course, you and I talk about this in Killing Marketing, how, a lot of people don't know that up to uh, The Force Awakens, the Star Wars series, the Star Wars line did $5 billion in revenue up to that point, in, but in merchandising sales did $12 billion. So sometimes we think that, oh, we have to mo- make money directly off the content, but we make it off of other things. And the reason why this hit me, Robert, was... Uh, especially as we talk about building content brands. There's so many companies out there that still have their corporate blog or their corporate e-newsletter, and I don't know if they think about the potential. And I'm not saying that you need to create action figures or monetize that way. I'm saying if you create a content brand that's valuable in and of itself and you're building an asset – in the form of an audience, you can my- monetize that multiple ways, like Stranger Things is. So Netflix builds the audience around Stranger Things, and they'll probably end up making way more money off of all the other things that they set up around Stranger Things and people that want to buy those things. So as you're setting up your content brand, I want you to think about not just making money directly off of that, whether it's the we talked about this before. If you want more leads or whatever the goal is or more brand awareness, whatever your goal is, think about what if you created an asset that, that had an audit, loyal audience? What other possibilities exist? And so you can use this Stranger Things example as something to sort of guide your way as you go through that because the, uh, the revenue opportunities for Stranger Things is almost unlimited. And the things that we will start to. So, if you think about what happened with Star Wars, I think you can make the same scenario case. Okay, so you got season two coming out with Stranger Things, if that does well, you have, strange, you have season three. You'll see more and more products and services and things that happen around that brand, and the potential is unlimited. And I don't think en- enough enterprises think about hey, there's not just one way to make money off of a content brand. There are actually 10 different ways, and we need to think a little bit bigger (laughs) than thinking just around the one... And the short-term content play, think about it longer term, and a lot of opportunities exist. So that's my take. It's absolutely right. It's absolutely right. Building an
0: audience with your content brand, and then guess what? You get to monetize that audience in multiple ways, and one of them is actually selling them physical product. And media companies are figuring this out, and so... You know, it's not long before Netflix is competing with fashion companies and, you know, yep. and Hasbro and, and, you know, and Mattel and all these other wonderful toy companies because they're building in action figures built around their, um, it's, the, it's the reason Hasbro is looking at, you know, entertainment and media companies. Well, and it's the reason, you know,
1: the reverse and, is true too. And, well, and, and, and I wanted to make the point of backing into the content. Because we backed, we obviously backed into the content because we were, um, at least Adam, saw the product and service, got involved in that first, and then checked out the content. You can make a lot of cases that Red Bull Media House does that as well. Oh, I went out and I saw one of Red Bull's bands, or I saw this amazing video that they produced, and I'm subscribed to Red Bull Magazine, and then you back into drinking the product. That's right. So I it's just it's interesting. Or recommending one, the product. Or recommending the product. Yeah. So I yeah. think that if you can just think a little bit wider about the possibilities, you stop thinking that you're just in the railroad business. That's exact <laughs> Oh. You brought Theodore You like that? Table. Of I course. Did. You, you know, I gotta to throw out a Theodore eleven every once in a while there just you for go. you because you're oh. such a big fan.
0: That makes my heart. So <laughs> That's so nice. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's talk about this old marketing. Okay. So let's do it. This one is for you. So, this is the reason we're going to tag team this because this one is really up your alley, um, as it were. And um, uh, this one, big hat tip, by the way, here to Yarin Porter de Leon. I love saying his name, Yadin Porter de Leon, de Leon. Um, anyway, um, he sent this over, so th- thank you so much for that. We we really appreciate the, uh, the this old marketing suggestion. He sent it over via the email. Um, and this is about CNBC's Jim Cramer. I know you're. Are you a fan? Are you are you
1: you're, you're a fan? yes? I'm a fan of the model they built. Absolutely. Okay. How are yes. you? So you're not necessarily. I don't fan always of Jim agree. But, I don't always okay. agree with their analysis on stocks and, and yeah. the market, but I do like what they built. Absolutely. So so the, just this, this is just going to what you
0: were just talking about with Stranger Things, and this is going to what we were just talking about with understanding how to build. So this is. So Jim Cramer, he started out as a radio guy. Um, he was uh, he had his own radio program, and that would basically provide free investment advice or help with picking individual stocks, and et cetera, et cetera. And he started, uh, during the dot-com boom, he started a new website that basically would be monetizing all of this advice that he was giving for free, and you could build a subscribed audience on that. And he called it Street.com. Now, Street.com actually now is a public company. As Joe and I were doing a little research on this, it's gone from way up high to sort of now a penny stock. But um, he's got his email on actionalerts.com. He has built a complete content program and and a subscribed audience, not just by doing his radio program and not just where he sort of evolved into, which was in as a television um, celebrity sort of personality and doing his uh, television show on CNBC on Mad Money. But basically taking that idea of quite frankly a rented audience or a borrowed audience or whatever you want to call it and getting of course paid to do that to build his subscribed audience on his own public where he definitely promotes it on his show saying hey go over to the street.com and subscribe if you want this stuff and he's been able to monetize that over the last eight nine ten years and build quite frankly a 20 I think we figured out the valuation of something like a twenty eight million dollar company based on that. That's one guy doing that and and basically taking his content, building a content brand for himself, taking that content brand... Building a platform that built a subscribed audience that he could monetize in numerous ways and taking that and building it into something that he can sell products through, which is his stock picker and his, the stock picks that he's – and, of course, the tools and all the things that you get yeah. from the street.com and from actionalerts.com. And I think a really cool example of really what you would call – you know, from the Content Inc model, um, someone who really followed the Content Inc model for the last really seventeen years since yep. he started this thing in the early two thousands, and has built a, a bit of
1: an empire with it. Well, I think it's it, it, that's a really good summary. I think if you go to thestreet.com the dot com and look at the way. They create and distribute their content and their calls to action. They're really good models. They've got some great newsletters that they are able to get people to sign up for. They've got once you get any newsletter, they've got a number of upsells where you can become a member at at certain unpaid and paid rates. So it's an interesting model. So when you look at you know you and I were just looking at it as a as a penny stock, the reason why it's a penny stock is because their administration is their sales and administration costs are way, way too high on a, as a percentage basis. If you look at it as a media company, frankly, I don't know, I have no, uh, I've I've no skin in this game at all from the street.com, but they have some people that are in certain positions that get paid way too much. If okay. they were like a regular media company, this would be a very profitable company. They did over sixty million dollars in revenue that, last year. Wow. That's a significant company. So they are doing some really, really good stuff. And the problem is they've got $30 million in overhead,
0: which is <laughs> yeah, killing so, them. Yeah. So, it's that expensive anyways, office on yeah. This is, a, yeah,
1: this, is a, this is a very specific problem that the street has. So don't look at that. I would absolutely go to... Do you like if you have somebody in your organization that is a personality like Jim Kramer is, and he is a personality all his own? They were able to build a media company that does not necessarily rise and fall on Jim Kramer. He is very much a part of that, but he's not necessarily needed for this thing to keep going. That's and right. I would take a look at. The way they the way they present their content they've do, they do a great job mobily, and they have some really really good e newsletters so I think from that standpoint Yadin absolutely picked a great one and yeah. uh, it's a lot I mean it's been going on since what ninety six yeah yeah and uh, it was one of the dot com companies that you know that 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 took off and oh, I remember and, when the street dot com I was during I was here in L A during the dot
0: com boom and it was just a I mean, the street was like, oh my gosh, it's the street, you know. It's, you know,
1: they were. It was the same as some of the hottest dot coms of this time. Absolutely. So it's interesting. They've really built. Uh, and, and and by the way, now that they have such a large audience, they they can they can actually launch a lot of other products and services. And I'm assuming, if they're in it for the long haul, there's an opportunity there for them to to generate more revenue than just off of sponsorship and advertising. So that's right. There you that's go. That's right.
0: Fantastic! All right, well, um, so you got the round, you got the the, the big event tomorrow.
1: Uh, big Monday. event tomorrow. The go yeah. the orange effect. Uh, dot org if you're interested. But it's our big annual golf outing. We generate funds f- specifically to help children with speech therapy needs. It's such a, a a gap in the marketplace where people just cannot afford speech therapy or technology that's that help people communicate. Kids specifically communicate more effectively mm. and that's what we do we all get together my son Joshua gives his talk because he went through some uh, s- some speech and play therapy some a lot of speech and, and play therapy when he was younger and uh, now he's a successful sophomore in high school doing great and so he's such um, a great kid such a great kid well I mean I've seen it firsthand where there are there are kids out there that just need the chance And because things have happened in grants, and and I don't want to say government, I'm going to get on a rant about that, but the money is not available like it used to be for some of the speech therapy. And we are a fundraising organization to fill that gap so these kids still get the therapy they need. So that's all we do. That so. is fantastic. So that there, is fantastic. there we go. And you, uh, you have a, a busy week this week? I,
0: I do it? have a busy week, yes. I am going off to uh, – I'll be traveling to Salt Lake City uh, for a very quick trip uh, this week, but mostly heads down working on my workshop, working on my keynote for Content Marketing World, which is literally weeks away at this point. Yes, so I am – I am uh I'm 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 yes I'm busy
1: as it were. Well yeah you go right before Casey Neistat, which, which I mean that's tough to do. I'm I, whoever likes put that schedule out I mean I feel bad for you. Yeah that would be you. <laughs> that, <laughs> me. Yeah but
0: that's cuz I know you are I don't have to rock follow the Casey house. Neistat. I don't have to I don't have to follow him I just that's have true. to I, I just have to be his warm up act right you're, you're so you're going to do that'll, that'll, that'll you,
1: He's he's going to want to follow you after <laughs> after yeah. <laughs> So. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, that
0: is it for 195. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Ross. Robert, Rose. Robert Ross, who the heck is that? Um, signing off. And if you like this episode, won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? We love the kind reviews. If you got something nasty to say, go review one of the other podcasts that competes with us because uh, nice things are what we want. And anyway, if you do um, or if you consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com or your favorite podcatcher, let us know. Won't you hashtag us up at This Old Market? And, of course, story ideas, story ideas, story ideas. We love them. We, we You can see from this show we absolutely need them, um, and we really love to get them. So hashtag us up on This Old Marketing uh, on Twitter, and do hashtag us up on This Old Marketing, because that's the way that I go through and actually look for all the story ideas that you've submitted. Or if you don't like that, as uh, Yadin did uh, today, you can send us an email, thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes. That will be available on the show as we publish on Monday night. And of course, in their replete Technicolor glory at the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember it's your story to tell, tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing.